Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. I hope you had a great day because I did. Holiday season, right? I got my black Santa Aloha shirt on, right? My surfing Santa. Now, it's cool. People could get me Santa shirts. I have this blue. I have two blue ones, which are really cool. And then I have a purple one, and I have this one now. So I love it. Every day of the week, almost, I can wear a different Santa shirt. Anyhow, welcome, welcome, welcome. We've got a great show lined up. My name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong, which means we can get to you anywhere in the state. Everybody's spread across the state. That's what makes it cool. Everybody's in different counties. So, you know, in some cases, because the state's so big, it might take us a couple hours to get to you, but we can still get to you, right? So we're still within range. So uh, check us out, CaliforniaHaunts.org, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And if you're trying to find us, you can use those two websites, or you can look us up on Facebook. We're all over Facebook. We're also on Instagram under Ghosty Gal, and that's all lowercase. We're over on TikTok under California Haunts, and that's all lowercase. And you can find us on Twitter. That is Cal Haunts. That's what we are on Twitter. So you can check us out over there as well. And tonight, if you're watching from Facebook and you like what you see and what you hear, please be sure to hit that follow button and, uh, and the like button. Because we're looking for followers. The more followers, the merrier, right? And if you're watching from YouTube, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. And when you click on that, that will bring up the subscribe sign. And you click on that. And we've got more than 450 videos over at YouTube of varying topics. I'm a journalist, so I like to change it up from time to time. So uh, sometimes I'll interview people about anxiety and abuse and things like that. So I think there's something for everybody. that you'll, you know, Something you'll find interesting over there. Tonight, my guest is a returning guest. It's the third time he's been on the show. Love talking to this gentleman, Preston Dennett. And uh, he's got a lot to say. In fact, the last time I heard him on the other guy's show, we're not naming the shows, he was talking about unusual UFO encounters. And it was some good stuff. That's why I want to get him back on to talk about that. Because, boy, that, that show was really, really over-the-top over impressive. And uh, he can, and you know, it's a chance to catch up with him too to see, to see what he's been up to since the last time he was on the show. All right. Well, like I said, uh, if you're watching from various places and you uh, like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe and follow. And uh, all right, here we go. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Good. It's always good to see you. Thank you. Yeah. Always happy to speak with you, Charlotte. Well, let's start like we always do. For the people that haven't seen you before, tell us all about you, sir. Oh, gosh. All about me? All right. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have been researching UFOs and the paranormal for a pretty long time, most of my life, since I was really 21 years old, uh, much to the chagrin of many of my family members who were skeptical, particularly my dad and my most of my older brothers. Uh, one, Mark, had seen a UFO, and I blame him for dragging me into this field uh, because he did see a UFO and tried to tell me I wasn't interested until 
I was 21 years old. It was November 17, 1986, and there was a report on the news about a sighting over Alaska. It was a very famous sighting now, uh, but uh, I just remember hearing this news report and shaking my head, thinking this poor pilot must be deluded, just like my brother Mark, who thinks he saw one. And I stupidly went up to Mark. I'm like, Mark, did you hear about this pilot? He, he thinks he saw a UFO like you did. He's like, I did see one. And I'm like, okay, tell me what you saw. And that's really how it started. I found out Mark's sighting was very impressive. Uh, he had two friends with him. And he wasn't the only one I knew who had seen UFOs. Mm -hmm. So had my sister-in-law. Uh, not, not his wife, though his wife did have encounters, but my other brother's wife, <laughs> she had seen UFOs. She had two friends with her. I had several friends who had very close-up sightings, people at the office where I worked. So I became a field investigator for MUFON, uh, Mutual UFO Network. I actually mm -hmm. joined every darn UFO group I could find, <laughs> uh, bought every book I could find, and uh, just kind of fell into it. I became obsessed pretty quickly, actually. Well, that didn't end there, though. You, you, um, weren't you abducted? I think I may have been. Yes. Uh, I, you know, Mark got to see one. You know, my uh -huh. sister-in-law, uh, Sylvia, my friend, another friend named Mark, by coincidence. <laughs> you know, Diane at work, Dorothy, all these people I knew had seen UFOs. And I'm like, mm, I want to see one. And uh, so I was going out at night looking for them. Whenever I'd interview someone, Usually it was, you know, years earlier they had seen a UFO, but occasionally mm -hmm. uh, it was like, oh, I saw one last night <laughs> or something. Right. And that, that really began to ramp up when there was a wave of sightings over Topanga Canyon. That's where I grew up. I had moved out in 1991, but this wave of sightings occurred in 1992. I still lived real close by. This is in Southern California. And uh, this huge wave of sightings was going on. Uh, people were calling the police, the local newspaper. The editor of the newspaper put me in charge of the investigation because I had written an article for him a few years earlier. Mm -hmm. like, investigate, investigate. I'm like, I will. <laughs> I called the police. I gave them my number. So I was getting calls from people uh, saying, I saw one. You know, it was just last night and it came over our house. And, I'd be like, oh, my God, you know, can I record an interview? Do you mind if I come over? Would you mind if I sleep in your backyard? <laughs> and I would knock on the neighbor's doors. I'm like, did you see anything? And uh, it was around that time uh, when I had my own sighting, actually. And mm -hmm. um, it was weird because, you know, I'd put up flyers. I was out there calling people. You know, I was really vocal and knocking on doors, just gung-ho. Mm -hmm. And it was in July of 1992, this wave of sightings had really just begun. It was June 14, 1992, when it sort of hit the community on that one day and just mm, really strong for two years. But it's one month into this investigation, which involved hundreds of people, by the way, Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm at my brother Mark's house. He lives in Woodland Hills, which borders Topanga. I lived in Canoga Park, which bordered Woodland Hills. 
And so I'm over at Mark's house and Christy, who's his wife, just talking about UFOs. I'm, go I'm losing my mind. I'm like, oh my God, you know, people are seeing this stuff. There's a government cover up. Why isn't anyone talking about this? You know, I, they were helping me through it because it was emotionally taxing. <laughs> uh, at any rate, it got late. And I'm like, I'm going to go home. You know, I'd love to stay up all night, but I've got to work tomorrow. And uh, I left their house. This was late at night, 1130 or so. I'm guessing around July 20th. Uh, I tried to pin it down to, and it's around there, July 20th, 1992. I just left their house and just pulled out of their driveway or the street and come around a corner, another corner, and another corner. And I'm about to get onto the main street, Canoga there. Mm -hmm. and I'm coming around this really tight hairpin corner. It's very steep. It's very tight, and I'm, you can't take it very fast at all, three miles an hour. And as I'm coming right around it, something catches my eye, upper right, and I look up, and I'm thinking it's it's a bird, but it's not. You know, it's late at night for one thing, and this thing is glowing. <laughs> and uh, looking at it, it's a round ball of light and swooping towards my car. It's pretty small. I'm thinking, okay, it's a firecracker, mm -hmm. but it wasn't because this thing was a little ball of light, you know, about the size of a golf ball, maybe bigger, not much bigger than a tennis ball, white, yellow, hard edges, not too bright, but it stops right in front of my windshield and it's looking at me. This is kind of the impression I'm getting. I'm like, Oh my God, is that a reflection? Cause you know, when you see something like this, your brain doesn't know how to, I don't even know how to describe it. Right. You're, you're, you're looking for an explanation and you can't find one. And you start, you start to get a little, <laughs> and uh, this thing moved back and forth, back and forth. I'm pretty sure it was two, maybe three times, stops again, moves forward, dips down, almost touches the ground and goes straight up. And I remember the car is stopped, of course, and I'm gripping the steering wheel. I'm looking straight up at this thing as it disappears straight up. And this is where I'm pretty sure something happened because I don't remember what happened. Mm -hmm. I completely 100% forgot all of it. I don't remember driving home. Having seen UFOs since then, you know, I always like write it down, put the date, write a description and call up people. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> Start doing, you know, the whole deal. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that. I would have turned around because this was my first real experience. I'd seen a few anomalous lights. But this was not a shooting star. I mean, a lot of the stuff I'd seen was a little bit ambiguous. I'm like, that could have been a shooting star. This could have been a satellite. I don't think it was. I mean, once I was driving through the canyon, and this bright light appeared, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, huh. And then it disappeared. And I'm like, hmm. But it just wasn't enough for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was, and I... It was about three months later, wasn't more than a year, which when I suddenly just like, oh my God, <laughs> I saw that. And I always told people, well, that was my sighting. And it was years later when someone said, well, what, what did you do? <laughs> what did you do after that? And I, I don't remember. I think I had missing time. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I was taken on board. I don't have any scars. <laughs> <laughs> um, or anything, but I, I sure have had UFO dreams, if you want to call them that, <laughs> uh, which of being on board, uh, 
more recently, in fact, uh, I've had a lot of those. So yeah, I'm pretty sure. And I've had a lot of real close up sightings after that. That year, Charlotte, oh my God. The next month I had a sighting, the month after that, uh, the month after that, I had like five really good sightings that year. And another one in 94 where it spoke to me. <laughs> uh, and regularly after that. I went through a period where I had sightings and it was for like a, like, like about a three year period where I was seeing weird stuff and then it, then it went away. So maybe they're not interested in me anymore. I don't know if there's something about me they don't like. <laughs> it's always late at night because I, I always like to work late and I'm always out driving late at night. And so I would always see stuff like the cloud would light up and then I see something shoot up. Oh, wow. Or I remember looking out my front door. I must've been about probably eight or nine. And uh, there was a circular thing in the sky, and it, and it had lights that, and it, 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 it was rotating, and it had lights going around it, and it just stayed there for like two, three hours, just sitting, sitting there. It was just really weird, weird oh, stuff like that. And then my yeah, missing, one of my missing, most, yes, go ahead. Sorry. One of my most recent ones was, I think September 2020. <laughs> I, I went outside and I'm just like, I know you guys are up there. Why don't you show yourselves? You know, I want to see one. You know, kind of just shouting at them because this is sort of what CE5 work is, if you know what I mean. You know, mentally reaching out to them, close encounters of the fifth kind, initiating the counter. I'm like, you guys, this little earthworm wants to see you. And uh, suddenly this light appeared right where I was looking. I'm like, whoa. And it was a big, bright light, moved a tiny portion across the sky and winked out straight up. I mean, it's not a satellite because, you know, they're little balls of light and they right. move. And this was a big, bright light. Uh, and it responded to me, I felt, I should say. Fascinating. Dolly Saffron is in the chat room tonight. Oh, cool. Yeah, Hi, Dolly. Dolly. <laughs> Dolly's in the chat room. She's awesome. Boy, her story was something. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the other night you were talking about weird UFO encounters can we talk about some of those oh i would love to yeah that's the subject of my latest book not from here okay volume four this is a series of books i'm writing which are adapted from articles i've written over the years which explore the lesser known weirder outlying aspects of ufo contact a lot of the cases i think that researchers kind of shy away from because they're not super common they're somewhat controversial sometimes uh, and just really unusual, bizarre aspects of UFO contact. And uh, yeah, just released this last book in last month, I think it was October. So just about a month ago, month and a half. And it covers 10 different areas of UFO contact, uh, things like extraterrestrial hitchhikers, <laughs> not kidding. Um, the ET fertilizer connection, uh, contactees who have levitated as a result of their encounter. And this is not being levitated into a UFO. This is spontaneously levitating, learning how to levitate. Interesting. Uh, UFO car lift cases, uh, people who see UFOs on the 4th of July, because that's a thing. And that has something I think really important to say about this phenomena. Now, all kinds of things, UFOs over airports, UFOs over dams, world leaders who've seen UFOs, 
Um, I'm having a lot of fun with this particular book. Uh, yeah, UFO collisions with cars, planes, trains, and automobiles, and one boat. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. You know, as a paranormal investigator, and I, I don't know if we talked about this the last couple of times you were on, I know after reading um, the Mojave incident, I got to notice there were parallels between what I do as a ghost hunter and a lot of these UFO encounters, a lot of these alien encounters, like the levitation, you know, and 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 uh, aliens having the ability to walk through walls and things like that. And, uh, you know, it always makes me wonder whether or not we're looking for ghosts, you know, that we're looking for aliens. There's definitely a weird connection there. Yeah, the ETs do have the ability to walk through walls in an interdimensional way. And I do know of haunting cases. There was a, the Enfield poltergeist in England with Janet Harper was the main target, but it was the Harper family. And she was being levitated <laughs> by the ghost. And at one point she went right through the wall. Wow. Uh, twice, I think that happened. And she's like, oh, I went through the wall, I went through the wall. <laughs> this is a very well verified case. Mm -hmm. uh, and that definitely has a parallel. And I know that Brazil's most famous medium of all times and one of the best ever is Carmine Mirabelli who levitated, he could speak in some 50 languages, uh, which he didn't learn. He would just you know, fall into a trance and speak them. Mm -hmm. you know, could produce full-blown apparitions. He was studied in front of a panel of all the leading scientists of his country uh, who you know, bound him up with ropes and chains and handcuffs. And he still levitated and teleported right into the next room. Wow. Uh, walked, went through the wall somehow. So wow. these, this is stuff we can do if you're spiritually advanced enough, but ETs absolutely can do this. See, that's why I'm wondering, because when you, when you listen to the EVPs that, that, that we get, you know, some of them are mechanical sounding, some of them sound so far away, you know, like you might be crossing um, dimensions to get them. And so it starts to make me wonder after reading that book, like I said, whether or not we're looking at ghosts. I don't think so. I think that um, ETs are biological beings like us, more like us than different. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that they've mastered the other dimensions. We're all interdimensional. I mean, let's mm -hmm. face it. Uh, people are saying, how do you know the, the, these are extraterrestrials? How do you know they're not interdimensional beings? I'm think, and I always think, well, wait a second. Who isn't an interdimensional being? Trees are interdimensional. If you go to the other side, there are trees there. Everything has an interdimensional aspect. Uh, and when we pass on to the other side, uh, we have, we're there in our astral body. Uh, and we have successively finer or bodies, the causal body, the buddhic body, the atmic body. According to Eastern tradition, they've kind of mapped it out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think the ETs... Uh, do this they can they are able to basically understand and travel through in other dimensions so when we see them levitating and moving through walls and doing you know telepathy it's because they're very advanced and that's what their one of their agendas is honestly is to try to wake us up to our own abilities and that's really why i wanted to do that one chapter in this book mm -hmm contactees who've levitated <laughs> because I got a case from, I mean, the first time I heard about it was Whitley Strieber, who if you 
know anything about UFOs, you know Whitley Strieber. Right. Uh, he wrote Communion about his experiences in upstate New York and a bunch of other books. And I've talked to him many times. He's a great guy. I'm 100% convinced in his case. If you're not, <laughs> you haven't done your homework because he's proved it. He's had so many witnesses. It's, you can't count them all. Mm -hmm. And he had Ed Conroy come over and basically investigate his case as a skeptic. And he came away convinced and had his own encounter. But Whitley Strieber reports levitating. He had a levitation experience following an encounter. Woke up floating on his ceiling, <laughs> looking down at his bed with his wife sleeping in it. Mind you, again, this is not him being taken. Right. This is just levitating. And that caught my eye because I, I remembered Jacques Vallée had that a case just like that, where a medical doctor had been struck by a beam of light from a UFO. It was clear he'd been taken on board because he had this little triangular rash on his abdomen and so did his infant son. He had been healed of two conditions, a wound on his foot and paralysis, partial paralysis, I should say. But in the just like two weeks following this encounter, he's walking around his house, la-di-da, <laughs> when he starts floating. He says it really quite shook him up because mm -hmm. uh, he couldn't control it. He didn't know what was happening. He didn't know people could do such things. And it happened again. <laughs> uh, so this is apparently a thing because Bud Hopkins has two or three cases. I thought, you know, I'm going to look into this because I remembered Stephen Greer said the same thing. I had to look it up, but I looked it up in his book and, yep, sure enough. It was like 1973. Stephen Greer's 17 years old, I think. Um, just been taken up on board a UFO, had a long meditation with the Greys, reached cosmic consciousness. It was all very benevolent and spiritual. And he sat down and he's walking home in North Carolina, the woods. And uh, outside of Asheville, I think it was. And he starts to realize he's not exactly walking anymore. <laughs> he is taking these huge leaping steps of 20 feet or more. So doing, 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 like you were on the moon or something. So levitating, at least partially. And it happened again to him. And I started collecting cases because I had my own. It happened to a marina officer that I interviewed. When he was five years old. He had a series of onboard encounters. And afterwards, he was in his room and just went whoop, right up to the ceiling. He's like, you know, walking on the ceiling with his hands. And finally it ended and he goes running into the kitchen like, mom, mom, I levitated. And she's like, only if you need a plane if you're to fly, what are you talking about? And he's just a kid, so he could not convince her. Right. But he did later. <laughs> uh, shortly later, he went outside to play hide-and-seek. And he was it because he was the new player. <laughs> and uh, suddenly he levitates up to the top of this little building, and he knew where he could see where every kid was hiding. Comes back down and finds them all and completely freaks them out. It ends the game. Oh. And it was a week or two later, it happened to... A third time, he ended up floating up to the top of this building that you can't get on top of, a little you know, apartment thing, a couple of stories high, but the door was locked. There's no way up there. They had to call the fire department, and his parents like, mm -hmm, I don't know. 
Uh, and that's just one case. Uh, I mean, this happened to quite a few people I've interviewed. One lady was just a little baby. She says her mom came up to her and she was floating above her crib. Wow. When I was interviewing Dolly Saffron, who's you know, been on the show, mm -hmm. uh, she's the subject of my uh, recent book, Symmetry, A True UFO Adventure, which by the way, hit number one. Yay. Yay. So, so excited about that. But Good to hear. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, but I asked her, you know, out of the blue, because, uh, you know, a lot of times when you're interviewing contactees, they're really reluctant to tell you some of the more fantastic um, experiences they've had, because mm -hmm. it's difficult for them. They've been ridiculed and disbelieved, and they're very tight-lipped often, and getting the stories out of them is like pulling teeth. Uh, and I'm like, hmm, Dolly, you, you haven't talked about this, but have you ever possibly levitated? And she kind of laughed and said, well, yeah, <laughs> actually I have. I'm like, oh, good. I, I want to put this in the book. <laughs> Tell me what happened. And she, she had at least four levitation experiences. One is a two-year-old, I think she was, and just wanted to float up to the top of the closet and hide there from her mother, <laughs> hide and seek again, <laughs> synchronistically, and did it by sheer willpower, twice, uh, freaked her mom out. Oof. And that was not the only time. She used to jump off the roof of her house and kind of float down. Uh, more impressive, I think, as a young kid, she would be climbing trees and jumping from branch to branch. And a few times, she wasn't exactly jumping. <laughs> she found herself floating. And it was very apparent at age 19 when she was holding two cans of paint at the top of the stairs and tripped and went sailing down and actually just flew, turned the corner and landed on like the second to last step. Paint still in her hands, <laughs> screaming. Her dad's like, what happened? What happened? She's like, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> I just floated down the stairs. So yes, this is a thing. And I know... It sounds crazy, mm -hmm. but if you look at accounts of contactees, they have a lot of paranormal experiences. Mm -hmm. They start doing remote viewing and astral travel and past life recall and healing, telepathy. I mean, I could go on, clairvoyance, precognition. And I think there is something going on here with their bioelectric field, mm -hmm. which is magnified, strengthened, enhanced. And the reason I say that is because it's pretty well known that contactees have, can't wear watches. Uh, Do I asked Dolly that. She's like, oh, no, I can't wear a watch. They speed up. You know, they break. I'm like, oh, it doesn't surprise me. And uh, TVs will fuzz up, radios. Uh, I had a real dramatic example of that with, with this one lady, which was kind of funny, actually. Uh, she had had an encounter and went to work feeling kind of crappy, but really like ugh, dissociated, I guess you might say. Mm -hmm. Set, sits down in front of her computer and starts working. Goes zip, and goes off, offline. <laughs> and she can't get it on. <laughs> she calls the IT guy and he's like, my computer, my computer. And so, you know, to stay busy at work, she went over to the copy machine <laughs> to copy, you know, f files and breaks the copy machine, 
tells the guy, after you're done with my computer <laughs> over here, <sighs> copy machine, and goes and does the same thing with the fax machine. <laughs> uh, and I have other cases like that. A lady, a contactee walking under streetlights, it goes out, and not yeah. just out, but the entire street. And she's like, she actually pointed, she said, they're gonna go out, they're gonna go out. Her boyfriend was walking with her. And she predicted it, and sure enough, it happened. The reason why I'm laughing is because, like I told you, I had that big run of, of things happening at night. And I remember I was on the newspaper staff in college, and every time I would get near a computer, I'd blow it out. <laughs> it didn't matter what computer it was, and they were so frustrated with me because they, they didn't want me to touch their computers. But, you know, I had that going on. I had the walking under streetlight thing going on for a while, you know. And, like, now, now it's all settled down. As far as I can tell, it's settled down. But, I mean, for the longest time, I mean, four years in college, and I'm knocking on every computer I touch. Yeah, yeah. absolutely a thing. You know, I've had a little bit of myself. I, I, I don't wear watches. They break. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I've had some of that, you know, with light bulbs. And hearing about this and studying it, I decided I'd try an experiment, see if I could do it intentionally. <laughs> uh, and you know how you have those little vanity lights above the mirror in the yeah. bathroom? Well, I walked in there and I stared at one for like 20 minutes. I'm like, go out, go out, go out. Uh, and it, it didn't, of course. And I'm like, well, I tried. And sat back down and watched TV and went back in there hours later. It might have been the next day, but I think it was just a couple of hours later, actually. Turned on the light and zip, it goes out. Not the one I was looking at, but the one right next to it, which was coincidental enough or synchronistic enough for me to think, wow, mm -hmm. maybe I did that. I don't well, know. I, you know, we're all supposed to be born with abilities. And maybe when we're abducted because that's how they're communicating with us primarily maybe they're able to really open that door for us i think so um because so many people i've interviewed come back with healing abilities mm -hmm. really strong and i've had them like work on me at least three of them one lady i'll call her wendy she's like she's she had healing abilities she brought someone out of a coma she healed someone of gestational diabetes. She could heal herself real quick. And I was talking to her about it. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, they gave, they taught me how to do this, how to manipulate energy. And she said, would you like to feel it? I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> well, we were on a hike. And she's like, okay, take off your shoes and your socks. I work best on a person's bare feet. I'm like, okay. And she grabbed my feet and started pushing energy through it. And it felt like electricity almost, but not unpleasant, but mm -hmm. like waves of energy going right up, all the way up through my body. And I could feel it. It was like, <laughs> and it was so cool. I'm like, wow, I actually feel that. And I had another lady do it. I went to her office. She used to be a, a, an aspiring actress. She decided, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do energy work. This was after her encounter, right? She was healed of eczema and uh, started to heal people. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm coming over. And she also uh, did kind of, you know, Reiki-like movements. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching her hands and I'm like, gosh, it looks like pink light and green light is coming out of her hands. And I'm like rubbing my eyes and kind of blinking. I'm like, hmm, I'm seeing things. But then I saw it really clearly. And I'm like, hey, 
I think I'm seeing light coming out of your hands. And mm -hmm. she smiled. She's like, oh, you can see it. Some people can and some people can't. Like, I can see it. It's pink and it's blue and green, pastel. She's like, yes. And I didn't really feel anything that time. But Dolly, Dolly did that to me once when I was had a you know foot thing going on. And uh, she didn't tell me. I'm like, hey, my foot. <laughs> and I was talking to her on the phone, like, my foot is killing me. And after the conversation, uh, I'm like, my foot feels really good. <laughs> Did you do something? And she's like, yeah, I was trying. I'm like, well, God, I can feel it. I was dealing with it for days. Uh, so it absolutely is a thing. And to close that off, because this is kind of interesting. Yeah, I was at a party yeah. once. <laughs> and uh, my dad, you know, this is a family party. My my dad's and all my brothers and sisters and our friends. So it's like 20 people. I've got a pretty big family. My dad pulled out this battery detector. He says, look, it has two leads. Did you know your hands actually have voltage in them? I'm like, what do you mean? He says, yeah, you can measure the voltage in your hands. I'm like, let me see that. And I measured the voltage in his hands. He ha had him hold the two leads and it's a voltmeter. And it went think, up to about, I don't know, an eighth. I'm like, oh, this is interesting because it's science you know and i love science <laughs> and you can physically measure this and i started going through every person in the house and they all had the same voltage pretty much exactly mm -hmm. until i reached my sister victoria who were kind of irish twins if you will <laughs> she's one year older than me we were raised as twins and we're very much alike and hers went up significantly higher and I'm like, wow, your your voltage is higher than others. And I'm like, do me, do me. And she did. And mine went all the I mean, up twice as much as anyone's higher, almost a quarter. And everyone looked at me like, ah, your hands are sweaty. I'm like, hold on, let's and I washed my hands and I dried them off really good and it still worked. And uh, you know, don't know if I've told you about having out-of-body experiences. Hmm. But I've had a bunch of those, and a few times I've been taken to heal people on at least three occasions. I've done that. So, yeah, I'm right there in there with some of these other contactees. That is uh, really cool. It's really amazing. So we all have this ability, all of us. I was thinking about my mother because my mother was one of these people. If she touched a doorknob, it would shock her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dolly talks about that. She's super electric. <laughs> My mother was like that too. It was craziness. And she yeah. jumped back, but it was no big deal for her after a while. You know, she just, you're going, whoop, and that's it. And you, hear, you could even hear it. You could hear it crackle when it did it. Yeah, I sometimes have that problem. It was so bad once I went to wash my hands and electricity arced out from the, the water <laughs> coming out. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> how can that even happen? Absolutely. <laughs> Question from the, um, um, what current sightings and observances uh, that you have that are, that are you most interested in right now? Um, it's dropped down qu quite a bit recently because uh, I think, you know, Dolly's talked about this. We talked about this uh, in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, our magnetic field on Earth is failing. We're at the end of a cycle. Uh, this is being covered up by mainstream science. But if you dig deep, if you go online to like suspicious observers, that's a website, mm -hmm. you can educate yourself on this. We're experiencing huge coronal mass ejections. Uh, so this is a big thing going on right now. 
and the ETs are largely gone. So sightings have correspondingly dropped. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what people are seeing now is our own government who is, you know, pulling, putting forth a false flag. <laughs> the UFOs people are seeing are not ET, um, except for perhaps a few ET drones here and there, which are still on our planet. Uh, but this absolutely does correspond. If you go to like MUFON and mm -hmm. New Fork, mm -hmm. you'll see a huge spike of sightings in the first year of 19 or of 2020. Mm -hmm. I mean, huge, it almost doubled. And everyone's like, oh, it's the pandemic. Everyone's at home, you know, because they're looking up. Uh, no, it's they were bugging out. They were leaving and people were seeing this in large numbers. So that's a current trend that, you know, a lot of people don't know or not talking about. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important people know that, yeah, <laughs> this is what's going on. Uh, so if you see sightings right now, you'll have to be very careful there are ways you can tell uh if the ufo comes down low it will knock out electricity they have a way of moving that's different than conventional aircraft even the reverse engineered ufos that our government has ufos bob and weave and have a fluttering motion a falling leaf motion mm -hmm. a pendulum motion they tilt kind of when they're moving along uh so there are various ways you can tell. Uh, but yeah, a lot of what people are seeing now that they think are UFOs are not because mm -hmm. our government is putting forth a false flag, trying to make us believe ETs are enemies and mm -hmm. bent on hurting us, which they're not. Uh, but that's what's going on currently. Tell me about the connection with fertilizer. Cause I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> yeah, this is so bizarre. Um, I always wanted to look into this because the Betty and Barney Hill case, which mm -hmm. is so famous, I won't get too into it other than to say, if you don't know about it, uh, you'll, you'll, you can certainly find out about it. But it occurred in 1961, and uh, they had a close-up sighting, which turned out, of course, to be missing time and onboard encounter. Mm -hmm. They were the one who really introduced the world to onboard UFO encounters. And after that, people really started reporting them in very large numbers. And uh, there was this weird thing that happened with their case. Following their sighting, they realized they had, had missing time because you know, Barney's shoes were scuffed, that mm -hmm. his dress was ripped and stained, and there were weird marks on their car, polished spots that were magnetic. There was some physical evidence. And they're like, hmm, something's going on. The idea of missing time wasn't known, at, you know, when that happened. Mm -hmm. And they had these two investigators show up who were scientists, mainstream scientists, but you know, kind of secretly investigating the UFO subject, uh, particularly cases involving missing time. And started asking Betty and Barney Hill all these weird questions, <laughs> which they thought were kind of tangential or irrelevant and one of them was do you have any fertilizer in your car i'm like what are you talking about no we don't have any fertilizer in our car and then they thought oh wait a second we do they had left a bag of fertilizer in their car during this onboard experience the sighting mm -hmm. and uh, they had just not taken it out 
and this really interested uh, Richard Homan and C.D. Jackson, who said, who told them, the people we've interviewed have, who've had these kinds of experiences were often involved in the fertilizer industry or had some connection to nitrates, which was so weird and kind of just offhand. I mean, the problem with this is that this was never followed up. It right. was a, a topic of investigation, but nobody ever really followed this up because there was no answer <laughs> to the Betty and Barney Hill and the fertilizer connection. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know what? I'm going to dive into the, I've got a good database now. I've got every book on this subject. I know where to look. I've got the whole UFO news clipping service. I'm going to find out if there is a connection because I knew of another case where there clearly was, and it's pretty well known. And that occurred on April 24th, 1964 to a dairy farmer in upstate New York, Tioga City, New York. Uh, and a good witness, Gary T. Wilcox. He was in the service, the military, speaks several languages, uh, ha is, has good references from his neighbors as an upstanding, sincere guy. At any rate, he's out in his field <laughs> and sees this flash of light. It's coming down for a landing um, some distance away. So he walks up to it and he sees this object. And he's thinking, is that a airplane engine that fell? No. Could this be a refrigerator? Who would dump in a refrigerator in my field and how would they get it there? Mm -hmm. And as he gets up to it, he sees it's this saucer. And he's thinking, is this a government thing? And he walks around it and this thing is a saucer. It's got no markings on it. It's metallic. It's floating about four feet off the ground. And two beings come out of it. They're short. They're five feet tall. And they're completely uniform from head to toe. So he couldn't even see their faces. Nothing. It's just all complete uniform. And they start speaking to him uh, in English. He said it was flawless English, no accent. And they started talking about a variety of subjects. And he ended up being interviewed by the military and by UFO researchers. And he refused to reveal some of what he was told or, or this conversation. He said it was very personal. Uh, he was given some predictions. One was about an astronaut that would uh, lose his life, which turned out to be true. Mm -hmm. uh, but he did say that at one point they brought up the subject of fertilizer and were very interested in what he was doing to his fields. And he explained what fertilizer was and how it works and why he does it to feed the plants and so forth. And they said, we would like a bag of fertilizer. And he said, okay. <laughs> and this was so, sort of how the encounter ended. He went back to his barn and retrieved the 80 pound bag, and went to the landing site of this craft and it was gone. So he left the bag there <laughs> and returned to work and, uh, came back the next day, it was gone, but reported his sighting to the police, I believe it was, mm -hmm. and it went to the military and to UFO researchers and became a classic case. And I thought, okay, well, there's definitely a fertilizer connection there. Mm -hmm. Can I any others? And I largely hit dead ends, I have to say. If there is, it's pretty tenuous, but 
but I found a case of a UFO hovering over the Agrium fertilizer plant in Borger, Texas. Borger? Borger. I'm probably butchering the name of that city, but it was in Texas. Uh, and other cases. I did, that was in 1988. I think the case that really impressed me in terms of a connection was on February 21st, 1968, when a 12-year-old girl, Miss Amato, they wouldn't release her first name. This case was investigated by you know Ted Bletcher and Walter Webb and other high-profile researchers. Mm -hmm. And uh, this little girl woke up because she heard something outside her house. Her bedroom overlooks the street, and she saw this craft landed, and little beings were coming out, a dozen of them. And they were like three feet tall, jumpsuits, kind of your classic little ETs. And they weren't interested in her, didn't seem to notice her, but went to the building across the street, which was an abandoned railroad station. Mm -hmm. And she says they went right up the side of it, like they had little suction cups on their hands. Wow and uh, went onto the roof. The roof has this big skylight. And inside, of course, is a large amount of nitrates and fertilizer. This building was being used to house fertilizer. Uh, so it was clear that that's what they were interested in. And in her case, is not just resting on a single testimony because there was a car driving by filled with people who saw a UFO on that same road around that same time. Uh, they pulled over and watched it for like 15 minutes. So, yeah, there are a few cases that really speak to this. And one is so bizarre, Charlotte. <laughs> uh, in short, it involves this Mexican farmer who was growing these enormous supersized vegetables, onions that weighed 10 pounds, cabbages that weighed 60 pounds, collard greens that were six feet long, 10 feet long, and selling them at the local market in Mexico. And everyone's like, how do you get these vegetables so big? Mm -hmm. And he said he got a secret formula from an ETs. Wow. Uh, and uh, they had to believe him because he had the produce to prove it. And this is well known. I mean, this got international headlines. You can look this up. Look, supersized vegetables. You know, Mexican wow. farmer. <laughs> uh, his name, oh gosh, uh, Jose Carmen Garcia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just punch that in and you will see. Uh, and yeah, I mean, people grow supersized produce all the time, but he was doing it every single time. Mm -hmm. There's photographs of his field, these giant cabbages. It's crazy. And uh, the government even took interest and studied his case and tried to duplicate it, you know, using the best fertilizer, the most advanced farming uh, processes and the best farmers and came could not um, equal what he was doing. And he said, yeah, it's all because of these, this ET secret formula, which was a, a mental thing, really, of symbols that he studied and meditated over the seeds. Uh, but it was apparently duplicated in a couple of, by a couple of other people. Uh, but yeah, I wish it was more researched, but it's very well verified. <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's fascinating, too, that Dolly pointed out in the chat room that they're grabbing plants and stuff to help save us in the end. Yeah, that's another thing that I think speaks towards this. I, did, I wrote another chapter in a previous Not From Here book mm -hmm. about E.T. gardeners. 
because there's many, many cases in the literature where they are collecting seeds. There was a case from Whitley Strieber. He had a support group that he went to. And one lady who lived in New York City said, I was just obsessed for some reason with collecting every darn leaf, twig, and seed I could. And she had this whole huge pile in her living room. She's a contactee, right? And one day it all disappeared. Uh, and other people have been taken on board and they've seen arboretums and, you know, all kinds of stuff like this. Dolly talks about this. She's seen that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's account after account after account of each saucers coming down, little ETs coming out with their little buckets and trowels, <laughs> taking soil samples. <laughs> or there's a famous case in France, Valensole, France, where Maurice Massey said, who is stealing my lavender plants? I'm going to catch them <laughs> uh, because it kept happening. And he ran out early one morning and it was ETs doing it. He ran right up to them and they paralyzed him with this little ray and quickly grabbed the lavender plants that they could and went in their craft and took off, left a huge circle in his yard, which, you know, there's still photographs of. It's a great landing trace case. Wow. But, but I know of so many cases, one case that made me laugh really hard actually <laughs> occurred in, I believe it was uh, Mexico or Peru, or I'd have to look it up, but it was definitely South America where this lady and husband were approached by their neighbors and said, you know, we saw a UFO hovering over your house last night. Like you did. <laughs> like, yeah. And it was a couple of nights later that she was woken up because she heard someone down on the patio mm -hmm. and she looked out her window and there were these two little grays and they were picking all the leaves off of her philodendron, her split leaf philodendron, you know, Swiss wow. cheese plant, which has medicinal properties, by the way. Right. And, uh, and she knocked on the, the window like, hey, hey. Uh, and they ran off. And uh, she woke up her husband like, oh, my God, I saw this. And a couple of nights later, she heard noises again. And there they were. And they were stripping the rest of the leaves off of her philodendron. Uh, I don't know. It's funny to me, but yeah, there's another case in France where they were picking dandelions and uh, a guy saw them. He was actually healed uh, and dandelions do have healing properties and are another medicinal plant. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think the ETs are wise to that. And uh, like Dolly says, you know, protecting all the species on our planet, not only plants, but animals and certainly human DNA and genetic material well it does make sense i mean there's people that eat rose petals yeah because they're good for you and stuff so i can see that i can see them doing that and hopefully that's what they're doing it kind of reminds you of that that uh that disney thing wally you know with all the people <laughs> yeah. that were on that spaceship and all they were searching for was some plant that they could grow to start replanting everything because it had all gone dry here you know so who knows who knows and but i mean it's cool. It's, it's, it's a cool thought. I did interview another lady in the Topanga Canyon wave. And she, I believe, was taken on board. Mm -hmm. and she afterwards was obsessed with collecting every darn seed she could. Uh, could not eat fruit around her. She's like, give me your peach pit. <laughs> she saved grape seeds, everything. Uh, and uh, I think that's related to all of this. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Tell me about UFO, uh, UFOs having uh, or, or crashing into vehicles and stuff. Yeah, this is quite bizarre. Um, 
I decided to look into this because I knew of a few cases mm -hmm. uh, where you know planes had had near misses. Certainly, there's quite a few of that, and uh, it, this was brought up in the congressional hearings. They're like ETs might represent a threat because they're entering our restricted airspace, and there's been all these near misses. And I'm like, yeah, there's been a lot. Has there ever been a collision? And I scoured the literature and I found about a half dozen. <laughs> so statistically speaking, it's insignificant. Mm -hmm. There is no real danger here of a UFO crashing into a plane. I just really need to underline this mm -hmm. because of the way our government is calling these things a threat, which they're not. Mm -hmm. The government is, a, is the threat, honestly. Uh, we are more of a threat to ETs than they are to us. Uh, <laughs> They're not here to hurt us or scare us or anything like that. We don't, I mean, they don't, you know, rape, murder, steal, lie, cheat, and cause mass extinctions. We're the ones who are doing that. That's right. But yeah, there are a few cases. Uh, in 1955, Major Mervyn Stevens was flying over Pixley, California, and bam, hit a flying saucer. That's what he's told the press when he landed he says i was struck by a flying saucer so it was like being hit by a brick wall and his superiors were not happy uh, officials at edwards air force base which is you know the closest base in this area right absolutely denied it but there were outside witnesses on the ground who saw ufo activity at the time of this incident in that same area and he had already given interviews and so eventually uh, officials at Edwards Air Force Base capitulated and said well okay uh, yes something happened and in fact it looked like his plane was struck by something from above that's pretty much a direct quote mm -hmm. and I started looking into it and I found quite a few cases I mean a half dozen I think one real interesting case was over Mexico City on May 2nd, 1974, uh, this is when a pilot uh, who was in his tiny little Piper Cub, uh, the pilot was Carlos Montiel, and he said this UFO came right up under him and struck his landing gear. And he was wow. in communication with the uh, control tower and started weeping and, you know, was hyperventilating and really upset. <laughs> Uh, his plane was damaged, but he landed safely. He was medically examined. There was nothing wrong with him. He was just a little bit freaked out. But there are a few cases like that involving even larger aircraft. Mm -hmm. There was another one um, by coincidence, again, over Mexico City. They have a lot of activity there. This is over the airport, Me Mexico City. And this is more recent, July 28, 1994. But what's interesting about this case uh, aside from being very well verified, this was a DC-9, you know, a large jet coming in for landing. And again, this craft comes up and nudges it, you know, bumps it like a fender bender. Uh, so I don't think, I don't know quite what to make of these cases. If they're accidental or if they're just like knocking on the plane real lightly. <laughs> to you know, sort of announce their presence in a very overt way. It did damage the wheel hydraulics. The right. plane did land safely, though. And this was all verified by a person who was there.
the air traffic controller, Enrique Kolbeck, uh, who decided to go public because he said, you know, this was not a completely isolated incident. There had been sightings over the airport before and afterwards. And yeah, I found other cases. There was a very famous case, which you can look up on the internet because it mm -hmm. shows the damage to this Chinese jet, which was flying quite high, 26,000 feet. And something struck its nose cone. And uh, there was never any official explanation. And it would have been unknown if a passenger hadn't actually photographed it upon landing. Uh, it could be a bird. I will say that because condors, vultures, and geese are known to reach that high. It's quite rare, but it could happen. But there are other cases like this, and there was no debris on the nose cone. Mm -hmm. But more interesting to me are the cases where these things hit cars, actually, and there's quite a few. I mean, there was a recent one in 1988 in New Mexico a witness by the name of Eric Eversole was driving with his girlfriend and his friend was in another car ahead of him. They were convoying through New Mexico and Eric looks to the left of the car and there's this silver ball kind of zooming along, pacing his car. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to point it out to everyone else and they're not taking him seriously. He's like, no, there's something out there because his girlfriend is talking on the walkie-talkie to the guy ahead of them. And suddenly this silver ball, which was in sight for a good 15 minutes or so, uh, comes zooming towards his car and bam, hits it. And his friend who was driving in front of him did see this. His girlfriend didn't see it, but she heard it and completely freaked out. And they pulled the car over and there was this big dent uh, there's quite a few cases like this where people are just driving along and it's usually these kind of small, I guess, probes or something because they're clearly not large craft. Right. Uh, and will damage the car. I think the most interesting case of this kind is much more extensive. And that occurred on March 28, 1967. There's a whole rash of cases in March, June, July of that year. David Morris was driving home from his employment, uh, his place of employment in Kent, Ohio. And it's late at night and he sees this glow along the side of the road to the left. And he knows it's unusual because there's nothing there normally. And it's getting brighter. And as he's coming around the corner, he sees it is an object. It's very unusual shaped. It's long, it's slender. He can't quite tell if it's landed or if it's hovering right above the field there, but he's studying it because it's bright, bright orange. And he knows it's unusual as he's, the closer he gets. And he's just about to drive by it when movement in the road in front of him catches his eye, wasn't paying attention. He should have <laughs> because ahead of him on the road were these little beings about four feet high, helmeted, jumpsuits, crossing the road in a very deliberate fashion. Mm -hmm. They weren't paying attention to traffic either. They were all just looking straight ahead, not at, you know, up or down the road. And he's like, oh my God, slams on the brakes and skids right into one of them, and knocks it over. And he skids, you know, 10 or 20 feet down the road, stops the car, opens the door, stands out, standing next to the door and is getting ready to run over 
when he sees them and they are not human. I mean, he knew they were not human when he hit them, but now he's getting a better look. Uh, now he's scared <laughs> and he's thinking, oh my God, you know, these are aliens. These are ETs. Are they going to be mad? Because I just probably killed one of them. Uh, not the only case, by the way, of people hitting an entity. There's at least two others that I found. So he jumps back in his car, <laughs> races home, and is shaking on his couch. And finally, he calls his friend after an hour or two. says, you're not going to believe what just happened. He's like, you're kidding. And uh, David Morris is like, no, no, I'm not kidding you. This happened. And so they go back to the site. The craft is gone. The beings are gone. There is a big skid mark. Mm -hmm. They examine his car, and his car is damaged. The, the chrome is dented and scratched right on the front bumper and along the side a little bit. So they call the police and the police come out and they investigate it and confirm it. They call UFO researchers. And so this was a very well investigated case. And the end result was that David Morris says, I'm never driving that road again. <laughs> Takes a long route home. Uh, so yeah, there's several cases of UFO car collisions. Wow. Preston, every time you're on, the hour goes by so fast. So fast. <laughs> it's so fascinating to talk to. And I want to thank you for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, always a pleasure. You know you know how much I love to talk about this. Absolutely. So, I want to get you back on again. I'm inviting you again, but not yet. You know? <laughs> yeah, okay. If that's okay, I want to invite you back on because you're so fun to have on and talk to. <laughs> Anytime. Anytime. It's my pleasure. It's true honor and delight what's next for you oh i got more stuff for sure i'm gonna put out another volume of not from here i'm gonna write another book about out of body experiences um i have another one about um, psychic visions that saved people from disaster another book on close encounters um i am busy this is these are important subjects i want people to wake up to mm -hmm. you know their own psychic abilities that, that's my mission let people know the ETs are real and let people know that we are immortal beings with, with great power. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And guys, for the guys that aren't regular followers of Preston, Preston has a lot of books. It's not only about UFOs. He's talking about uh, ghosts and everything. So got to go to Amazon and check them all out. Cause there's a lot of books out there and I've read a couple of them spot on, you know, I love, <laughs> I, I love your books and stuff too. Anyway, again, I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. How can people find you, sir? I do have a website. Just punch in my name. It'll take you there. The address is prestondennett.weebly.com. Mm -hmm. You can definitely contact me through my website. If you have a story to share or a comment or a question, uh, all my books and excerpts are there. I'm also on YouTube. You can contact me there or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I have to tackle that next. Um, but not on that yet. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thank you. I'm going to need it. This, this is like a never-ending pit. because It's not only your stuff you're putting out, because once you start watching stuff, that's all you do. It's like, it's like before you go to bed at night, I'm going to check TikTok. And you're just constantly on TikTok. It's just crazy. I know. It's crazy over there. All right, Preston. Well, thank you. And we will definitely ask you to come back on again to talk some more. Yay. There's a lot Thank of you. topics I want to talk about too with you. I mean, you know, so 
not only UFOs, but we, you know, you, you've done the ghost thing and all that. I mean, you're, you're so well versed in everything. It's great to talk to you. Yeah. Bigfoot, too, by the way. That, too. Sasquatch. <laughs> it's all about Sasquatch and everything else. All right, sir. Well, thank you and have a good rest of your evening. And I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Okay, Preston. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Always fun. Always great to have him on. Love it. I love every second of it. Take note, guys. Tomorrow we're going to be on at 3 p.m. Pacific. Um, Dr. Scott Taylor's back with us to talk about shared uh, near-death experiences. The last time he was on, we I had internet issues. So hopefully this time it's going to be a lot better since I upgraded my internet, got, got myself a new modem and all that stuff. So hopefully we won't have those problems again because that was a really killer conversation as well. Uh, again, uh, I want to thank Preston for coming on. I really appreciate it. And everybody that was in the chat room tonight. Michael, Dolly, see who we got. Michael, John. See, I'm going to go up the line here. Give me a second. Takes me a minute. I'm old. Michael, John, uh, Bobby, uh, Recon. See, we got Jerry, Libby. Uh, let's see. Marisa was here. So we had quite the crew in here. And thank you guys for your suggestions to talk with him. Oh, Jay. Jay, you're, Jay was here. My good. So uh, thank you all for coming, and I really appreciate it. And as I always say, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. Equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. You know, we just want to get the word out. YouTube shows us no love, and and the only way that we've been able to build up our YouTube audience and all the other audiences, including Facebook, is by word of mouth. And you guys have done a tremendous job. And the people that listen to the podcast, you've done a tremendous job, too. I'm really happy. I'm real proud. I'm real proud of the job you guys have done sharing, sharing us all around. And uh, now we have an easier address to find our YouTube site because the, the, the original YouTube address has sucked. So we are now at youtube.com forward slash at the left the little at thing, logo thing on the computer, California Haunts Radio. It's that easy to find us now. Okay. And again, if you haven't subscribed, please be sure to subscribe. Because we're always looking for subscribers. Facebook, again, you know, we're looking for followers and all that. Anyway, thank you guys so much. And I will see you guys at 3 p.m. Pacific tomorrow to talk with Dr. Scott Taylor. And I'm going to give you some information on Preston and some of his books and where to get them and all that good stuff. Here we go. Okay, website, PrestonDennett.Weebly.com. And, of course, here's some of the books, um, Mysteries, Legends, and Unexplained Phenomena, Undersea UFO Bases, just to come a few books, Schoolyard UFO Encounters, and Onboard UFO Encounters. And, of course, his new book, which is also available at Amazon.com. But if you go over there, you'll see a slew of books by Preston. There's just so much to choose from. It's fantastic. So ch check all those out. All right, guys, I will see you tomorrow, 3 p.m. Pacific. Have a good evening.